Kathleen Turner was in a tough spot in her life. She was in an abusive marriage. Life seemed difficult. There were a lot of fears, but she kept at it. Going to work, forcing a smile, getting the job done. Then she gets the phone call. It's the phone call that none of us would ever want to receive. But like they say about life, it's not what happens to you in life that matters. It's how you react to it. So instead of sinking down another notch under the mounting pressures in her life, she decided to step up and face one fear at a time. And much of that was on two wheels. Kathleen Turner's story coming up today. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicum. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Yes, my name is Kathleen Turner, and I'm from Westland, Oregon, and I'm a high school math teacher. Kathleen, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you so much. It's truly an honor to be here. Oh, that's that's very kind of you. I, I, you know, something really caught me about your story was the fact that you not only failed your first riding test, <laughs> but you yes. barely passed the second one. Absolutely. In fact, I would like to say I failed spectacularly. <laughs> so <laughs> what happened is that during the actual class, I felt fairly confident stopping and doing the turns and that kind of thing. The instructors were so friendly and helpful. But when it came time to actually take the test, I literally had a panic attack. I was standing there and I saw this huge long people. It was only 11 people, but it felt like a whole sea of people behind me. And my heart started beating and my hands started shaking and I started sweating. And I would have given anything just to disappear at that moment. And um, I I did everything wrong. So I I went, I didn't stop in time. I went outside the lines. Um, I didn't avoid the office. Object, you know, whatever. I mean, I didn't actually crash into anything, but I, I did anything that you could do wrong. I went on the cones or on the wrong side of the cones. And the instructors even said, Kathleen, what's wrong? You were doing fine during practice, you know? And uh, so I was just, I was just very grateful to have the test over with that, <laughs> at that point in time. Right. Yeah. That, that's choking, and, isn't it? That, that's where you go back to those basic things that you understand, those, those first skills that you learned. That's a real shame because it, it obviously it's not your skills or it wasn't your skills at the time. It's, it's just the panic. It's, it's that uh, fear. It, it was. And, you know, that's, that's the whole concept of facing fear. So when I went back a week later, you know, it, it might have been easy just to give up. But the thing is, I love riding motorcycles. I mean, truly love riding motorcycles. And I had been on the back for a little over than four years and I had been to all 48 states and I knew, I just knew that this is something that I truly wanted to do. So I wasn't going to give up. I, after I failed spectacularly, I 
went and got two uh, private lessons of like an hour and a half each and then came back the following weekend. And during my second test, the bike actually failed on me. And the instructor actually said to me in the middle of the test, how do you expect to pass this thing if you can't even keep your bike running? And oh. he came over to start my bike and he couldn't start it either. And um, and then he kind of said under his breath, well, this one's been kind of acting up. And I thought, oh goodness. Oh, it's his and so bike. I had to take... Yeah, exactly. And so I had to change bikes in the middle of the test. And again, it would have been easy to give up. But at that point, I was just so determined. I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this my truly very best shot. And if I fail again, so be it. But I don't want to look back and say I didn't give it my all. So I did. And then there was even a part of that test where they said, you know, you can do it again because you were going a little faster than you needed to. So if you want to try it one more time, you know, you can. And I did. And you could miss a certain number of points to pass. And I missed exactly that number. So if I had missed even one more point, I would have failed again. But since then, I've put on in, in less than three years. So in two and a half years, I put on actually like two years and three months, I put on over 80,000 miles on a bike. Wow. You know, the thing is though, when it comes to getting a license, you pass, you don't pass. All you're worried about is pass. Who cares <laughs> what what right, you scored, right. right? All you want is that license well, exactly. so you can walk away and ride. <laughs> exactly. I just want to be able to ride a bike. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you exactly. said you're a school teacher. How, yes. how long have you been doing that? So gosh, I think it's been about 17 years now. Um, I, I absolutely um, adore my job. I just, I, I, I tell my students when I walk in every morning, I kind of feel like I'm coming to a birthday party because, you know, there's that sense of anticipation and positivity and looking forward to interacting with people. And I'm, I'm very privileged to have a job that I, I truly enjoy. I, I just love making a difference in people's lives. Wow. That, that's really neat. Is that what you started doing? Is that what you've always done? No, um, actually not. I actually got um, an MBA from a top five business school and I worked in the corporate world for a little while. Um, but then after I gave birth to my first son, I thought, you know, I'd really like to stay home with him. So I did. Um, I ended up becoming a researcher from home kind of thing. I did freelance writing for a couple of years. And then when two more children came along and I was a single mother at that time, I decided to run a daycare out of my home just so that I could be with them. And um, I did that for a few years, but I knew it wasn't really a long-term solution because um, it, I didn't have health insurance or retirement benefits. And one of the moms of one of my clients said, you know, Kathleen, you're so good with kids, so good with kids. You should just consider becoming a teacher. And this light went on and I thought, oh, wow, that would be perfect because I could be helping other children. And then I could also have vacations off with my own kids. So I just uh, really took to it. I feel like it's something I was really meant to do. And like I said, I feel really grateful to have that as my career. And you teach high school. Yep. I teach high school math. So I teach algebra and geometry. And was that your choice to go in to teach that age bracket? Because I, I know all the ages are different, obviously, and the different learning and probably a different influence you'll have on them as well. Yeah, well, and I've actually taught college students as well, you know, during the years, um, you know, I, I've typically had to work two or more jobs just because of financial situations. So for a while, for example, I taught um, evening classes at a university and I did. I think that there's something to be gained from pretty much any age that you might work with, because when I did my daycare, I worked with elementary and junior high students. And then, you know, I teach high school students, but I've also taught adult learners. And even in my tutoring business now, I work with both um, junior high and high school and occasional elementary. So to be honest, um, it's just part of my personality to, to love interacting with other people, regardless of their age. 
that that's one of the things I, I love about motorcycle riding is I just absolutely um, love being able to talk with people on the road. You know, you'll see another biker and they'll say, where are you going or where have you been? And you ask them the same thing. And just hearing about the road that they took or where they're from or some of their experiences on the bike is a big part of what makes it so, so fun and so adventurous. What year was it that you ended up getting throat cancer? So it would have been less than two years ago. So let's see, that would have been, I found out about it. I believe it would have been 2019. And at the end of 2019, um, what happened is that it was actually kind of an accident that I found out about it, but our family dog was um, dying of cancer. And so I flew my daughter home from college in California so she could be with him as he passed. And we were sitting at the dinner table the night before and she said, mom, do you have a sore throat? And I said, no, why do you ask? And, and my daughter is super observant, especially about nature and biological things. And she said to me, well, mom, I can see your lymph nodes from here. And I thought, wow, I wonder what that is. So I went to the urgent care that weekend and then my um, primary care physician. And then after that, an ear, nose and throat specialist. And about a week later, um, I got the phone call at work. The, the ENT specialist was actually the parent of one of my former students. And she knew what time my bell rang. So she called me, you know, right at 310 when the bell rang to tell me. And, um, you know, it was, it was quite a shock, to be honest with you. It was like not at all what anything that I ever thought would happen to me. Yeah. What's that like getting that phone call? I mean, what runs through your mind? Oh my gosh. Well, I heard the word cancer. And then to be honest with you, kind of like the panic attack I had while I was taking my motorcycle skills test, um, the whole world just kind of went black. Like I, I felt like the room was spinning around me. Um, my heart rate accelerated. I was shaking. I was having trouble breathing. I couldn't really hear anything that she was saying for the first probably, you know, minute or two after she actually said it, I just kind of had to get a grip, you know, and take a few deep breaths. And, um, and, uh, then she explained what the next step would be. And, and kind of my, um, my determination kicked in at that point, I would call myself a very determined person. So when she told me what the next step was, and that was to do something in her office, I said, can you see me right now? I'll be ready to leave in two minutes. And she said, yeah, I'll make room for you. So I left and you know, bam, that started. Um, I asked at that point, what is the next step? And they're like, well, you need an MRI and they'll call you in two days. And I'm, I'm like, no, get, please give me the number and I'll call them. And I, I was on the phone with them, you know, within a half an hour of leaving that appointment, making the, the next step happen. So, um, I just, you know, have this determination in the face of a variety of difficulties to try to never give up. And at the same time, you were going through a divorce? Yeah, well, the marriage was kind of on its last legs. And actually, what happened is that I think the cancer is part of why the divorce ended up finally happening. It, it had been a very bad situation for both me and my children. Um, it was, you know, verbally, physically, and emotionally abusive. And there were many lies uh, and betrayals in the marriage. And I had tried valiantly to save it, but still it was not healthy for me, the situation I was in. And it really was not healthy for my kids either. But I think I kept thinking that if I tried hard enough, somehow I would be able to fix it. And I also had a very, um, very visceral fear of being alone. 
And, and that's, you know, part of what comes into play with my motorcycle ventures is I, I really didn't ever want to be alone. So I think I was putting up with a lot of things I should not have put up with because I thought, well, I'll be miserable being alone. Um, but then when I knew that there was a decent chance that I could die within a few months, um, the survival rate for my kind of throat cancer is 85%. So that is actually a fairly good number. But if 85% of the people with my diagnosis live, that also means that 15% of them die, you know? Yeah, somebody and has so, to be in that um, 15%. Right. I was hoping, certainly hoping and trying to think positively, but I couldn't ignore the fact that it was possible that this would take my life. And I thought to myself, if I only have a few months left, do I want to spend those few months, you know, being um, treated in this manner? And so that is kind of what helped me to have that more of a sharper focus on what I really needed to do. And it, it ultimately gave me the courage to do what I kind of had known for a while was the healthy thing for me and my children and to get out of that situation. So that was for me, um, a big step of faith to do that because, you know, I was terrified of, of living alone and being alone. Um, and, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to this, this day that I did make that decision, you know, at that time when I had cancer and I was going through a divorce at the same time, because my treatments were continuing as I made the decision to divorce, um, I, I was at probably the lowest point in my life. I was in a ton of pain physically and emotionally. And I can honestly tell you that I thought it was impossible that I would ever experience joy or hope or confidence ever again. And, and part of why I feel so passionate, in fact, I'm almost tearing up talking about it now, but part of why I feel so passionate about sharing my story is because I'm so grateful that I am in a different place now. And um, I, I would say that the reason I'm able to experience that confidence, that, that hope and that joy now is, you know, first of all, my deep personal faith and, and then also some very good friends that came alongside me. But a very significant part of my recovery from all of that trauma has been my motorcycle riding. And um, so, so that's part of why you know, I do like to share about my motorcycle adventures and the impact, the positive impact that motorcycling has had in my life because I'm so grateful to be at the point that I am today. You know, I, I imagine that this was a bit of a, um, that your feelings had your, your, maybe your family and your friends knowing how down you were in life may have been a surprise because, and I'm just guessing this because when I listen to you speak, you sound like the type of person that's, that's high energy, that, yeah. um, is somebody who, who goes and chases things down. I mean, when you talked about when you, when they, they said they'll have someone call you and you said, no, no, give me the number. I'll call them. Well, that sounds like exactly. the, the type of person that chases things down. And, it, and it's really yes. kind of strange because when I think of that type of person, I don't think of someone who would be down in life, you know, who would, who would be, be right. so low from, from their surroundings. So it, it's almost like you're running around with a bit of a shell on. Well, I, I was, I was trying so valiantly to keep a positive attitude. Um, I, I would say that during that time, I managed to still do a very good job teaching and a reasonably good job parenting. Um, you know, I, 
I got my kids the best teachers, helped them with homework, applied for financial aid, was at their sporting events. You know, I was I was present, I was active, but it was so incredibly draining. I remember one time I was at Target with my daughter and she said, Mom, I can tell that you're trying to be positive and to help us have a good time, but I can see little flecks of Kleenex on your face where you must have been crying earlier, you know? Um, and in talking with colleagues of mine afterwards, I said, you know, because when I talk about the impact that motorcycling has had on me and particularly the adventure last summer, I wanted to check with people I know and ask them, do you see a difference in me? You know, what, what was that like? Because, um, and, and what I heard from them was that, you know, they always admired, you know, the fact that I was still doing a good job being a parent and being a teacher, but they could tell that I was under strain. They said that I had kind of a strained expression on my face and that um, my my complexion was kind of pale and gray, kind of like they could see by looking at my face that I was, that I was strained. Mm -hmm. So I would say that I was trying so valiantly, but when you're under so much physical and emotional pain, it does, it does take something out of you. Um, but yeah, you were absolutely correct about me just wanting to try everything I could, for example, to salvage the marriage, everything I could to fight the cancer. Um, I could not salvage the marriage, but I'm super grateful um, that I was able to to fight the cancer. I'm, I'm very grateful to be alive. And, and all three of my children have told me, Mom, you know, we're so happy that you fought so valiantly. We're so happy that you're here. Um, we love you. And, and I'm so happy. Um, you know, happy and grateful to be their mother and that they have stuck with me through the, you know, thick and thin of it and that we're, um, you know, stronger as a family now. You know, when you're saying the the fear of being alone, when you're yes. going along with your, with the shell, when you're, when you're acting like everything's fine, you're really isolated, aren't you? I mean, you, you truly are alone at that point. Yeah. You know, that when you're having when you're in a situation, and this is kind of where, you know, you can have something good come out of something bad. I would say what happened here was kind of interesting. When my marriage was falling apart because of all the lies and betrayals, it wasn't the kind of thing, as you mentioned, that I would share with very many people at all because you can't really share horrible things about your relationship and then expect to save the marriage permanently if everybody yeah. knows about everything that's been happening, you know, in some senses. Well, and it you reflects on you too, doesn't it? You feel like it reflects on you. Some would say, well, why are you still doing this? If you're, if yeah, you're suffering. Because people would want to know why are you staying in that situation? Yeah, of so I was actually part of a support group of other women who were all in the same situation as me. And interestingly enough, their situations were just as bad as mine, but their spouses were changing and um, improving and showing that they had really become a different person and they were able to salvage their relationship. But in my case, that wasn't happening as much. And so even among women who shared the same situation as mine, you know, the, the advice was universal that I was in an unhealthy situation and I needed to leave. And you're right, it was that fear of being alone. And you are correct that I did feel I isolated um, in that I didn't feel like I could share everything that was going on with everybody. But what happened is when I got cancer, and this is again, why some things that appear to be a negative thing in our life can turn out to be a blessing. Having cancer is something you can share with other people because, um, 
you know, that is something that, that does happen to a lot of us and, mm-hmm. um, and, and everyone is very supportive of it. So obviously I had to share with my students and their parents because every day I had to leave school, um, 10 minutes early to go to the hospital for radiation. And then there were days that I had to be gone completely because of chemo. And of course I had to share with my administrators and other teachers cause they needed to be able to cover with me and they needed to know while I was gone. And so in the process of sharing about the cancer battle, my students, their parents, my colleagues, my administrators were all saying to me, Kathleen, you're so courageous. Um, Kathleen, you're so strong. Um, Kathleen, you know, we're so proud of you. And what they didn't realize at that time when they were sharing these things with me was that all of that encouragement and all of that affirmation and all of that positivity was helping me in more ways than one, because not only was it giving me extra energy and strength to battle the cancer, but it was also giving me the extra energy and strength that I needed to make positive decisions for myself and my personal life. You know, that, that could almost go the other way too. And I think it says something about your personality because someone reaffirming that you're so strong, and you're so tough, almost makes you want to carry on the facade with your marriage and say, yeah, 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 no, I, I can deal with this and, you know, and, and not tell anyone because you're all of a sudden this person who's revered for being so tough and so solid. So it, it really says something about your personality that you actually took it in a positive direction rather than going deeper, you know, into a shell. Well, you know, I think it's because deep down inside, I knew what I needed to do and I just really needed the courage to do it. So I don't know if you've ever felt that way where you have a difficult decision to make. And if you really are honest with yourself, at least with me, if I'm really honest with myself and I really look deep inside myself, sometimes I know what I need to do and it may not be what I feel like doing. It may not be what I want to do, but I I know what I need to do. And there's that moment sometimes when you're making a major decision in your life. Like I still remember the moment when I knew first certain that I was going to become a math teacher. Um, and, and I know the moment when I decided for certain that I was going to leave on my eight-week motorcycle adventure, there's that moment where you acknowledge what you know is true and right, and then you decide to act upon it. And then you can kind of switch gears and you can go from worrying or thinking about what to do, and you can switch to figuring out how to make it happen. With my eight-week motorcycle adventure, I I knew I didn't want to give up motorcycling. And um, before my divorce, I had been on cross-country trips. Let's see, I think six cross-country trips, either five or six. I started in 2014, so 14, 15, 16, 17, six years. I had been on cross-country trips, and I didn't want to give that up. Um, But there are not that many people that have two months off of the year to go traveling. And not only that, but pandemic had just broken out. And so my my um, my question was, should I take a cross-country trip or not? Now, deep down inside, I knew I really wanted to go, but I also knew I was just terrified of being alone for so long, not just being alone, but like traveling on my bike alone, being in strange hotels on my own, um, being in a, you know, state all the way across the country on my own. I didn't know would my bike break down, would I get lost, you know, have problems on the road or whatever. Um, but when I, when I, I had a, a really important conversation with a neighbor friend of mine, I was just explaining how I, I really wanted to go on my regular adventure, but this year it would have to be alone because, you know, I didn't have a ride partner. And he said to me, well, where does your older son live? And I live in Oregon. And he's, and I said, well, he lives in Washington, DC, which is on the other side of the country. And he just said to me, Kathleen, I think that's where you need to go on your bike this summer. And it just clicked in my head. 
it just clicked like, yes, that is what I meant to do because I had been separated from my older son, Ethan, for over six months because we lived on separate sides of the country. And during the pandemic, especially with me still recovering from cancer, I didn't want to fly across the country. He didn't want to fly across the country. And so I thought, you know, there there is nothing that could give me the courage <laughs> to travel on my bike alone more than the love for one of my children. Like my love for my son was greater than my fear of traveling alone. So when my neighbor suggested that to me, I just went from thinking, am I going to go on a cross-country trip to how am I going to get to DC and back? So that was a really exciting moment for me. And that was, you know, the beginning of a life that was full of more joy, more hope and more confidence than I ever thought possible. It is just amazing what happened when I faced that fear and then made the decision to leave, to take that leap of faith and to go and then to see all the things that happened. And what I feel like is that I learned something positive um, for every step of my trip. Let me jump back because what yeah. I'm interested in is how you ended up on a motorcycle to begin with. So, so where does, yes. where does the motorcycle sort of come in and connect with you in your life? And I'm assuming it was in your, your, your previous marriage. Yeah. You know, what's funny. This is going to sound kind of strange, but I think I was always meant to ride a motorcycle because about, I would say 13 years ago, before I even met my ex-husband, I was talking to a colleague at, at the university where I taught in the evenings and just out of my mouth, I have no idea how this came out, but out of my mouth, I said to her, you know, I think the next guy I date is going to be uh, drive a motorcycle. I don't even know where that came from. And I had, I had ridden a dirt bike maybe, you know, a few times when I was a teenager. And in college, I had ridden on the back of a bike maybe two or three times, but that had been, what, 20 years or something more than that. And so um, it had been a while, but just there was something in me, I think, all along. I am an adventurous person um, and, and I do, I do love going places and doing things. Um, that's, you know, one of my, my other son, my younger son, when I was, when he was in second grade, he had to write something that he loved about me for, you know, a mother's day card when he was like, I don't know, in, in school, they were having him draw something. And they said, I love my mom because she takes me everywhere. <laughs> and nice. so I just love, I've always loved being on the go, you know, exploring, adventuring, discovering things. And so when I, you know, met my ex-husband and I found out he had a motorcycle, one of the first things I asked is when do I get to ride, you know, and it didn't take long for both of us to realize that even though he had been riding all of his life, that I liked the riding more than he did. So it would often be me that would want to go out, even if the weather wasn't great, or can we ride a little longer, you know, or can oh, we go to a few more states or whatever. And so um, that's kind of how I got into it because he did. And then as the marriage was falling apart, you know, I could see the writing on the wall and I thought, man, I just love this and I don't want to give this up. And so that's part of why I got my own motorcycle endorsement is I wanted to keep the option open to continue riding, you know, whether or not I had a riding partner partner. Of course. Now, now sitting on the back of the bike, what is it you're getting from the ride? What, what is it that you loved about motorcycle riding on the back? Oh my gosh. I could literally talk for 10 hours. I really could about all the things I love. I mean, I just, uh, so uh, the way I like to describe it to people, um, one of the ways I like to describe it is that the, one of the things I love is that you can experience your life with all five senses, all five senses. So let's say you're driving by the ocean. For me, 
I can taste the salt in the air. I can smell the seaweed. I can hear the waves. I can see the sand. I can feel the sun on my back. I am experiencing my world with all five of my senses in a way that really I don't think you can do um, any other way. So, so for me, it's about um, just feeling alive. Um, I also just find it therapeutic. Um, the rumble of the bike, the texture of the road, the feeling of the wind in my face, and also just that concept. And again, I don't know how to exactly explain it, but I just love being on the go. Like um, when I'm on my cross country trips, I will have people say to me, you must be tired, <laughs> you know, because I do tend to travel quite a few miles. This um, On my trip this last summer, I went almost 23,000 miles in two months. But, you know, I can honestly say that I don't think I've ever gotten off of a bike and said to myself, gee, I wish I had ridden less miles today. You know, mm. I mean, I just love being on the bike. What What kind of trips did you do on the back of the bike? So we went, what I like to do for my cross country trips is I like to have a theme and I also like to always make it to the opposite coast. Now, one of the summers we didn't because our theme was the Western coastline. So we went from the Northwestern coast of the United States to the Southwestern part of the United States all along the coast. And the rule was for that trip, we had to be as close to the water as possible. So if there was a road that went right on the ocean, we were on that road. So, so I like to have a theme for every summer, you know, one, one summer it was wildlife. One summer was favorite people. Um, another summer it was, um, from Portland, Oregon to Portland, Maine. So I pick a theme and then um, I get out a map of the United States and I highlight things on that map that I think would fit with that theme. And then I try to leave it kind of loose. You know, I don't plan out, here's what I'm doing on days one through 60. I just know what I'd like the highlights to be. And I also understand that I won't necessarily get to all of the highlights, but um, hopefully get to a lot of them and then discover, you know, new ideas along the way. And did it ever occur to you while riding on the back of the bike and doing these trips before you became a, a rider yourself as a pillion, did it ever uh, occur to you that maybe riding the bike would be even more exciting than being on the back? I honestly thought that I would never be brave enough, strong enough, uh, skilled enough to ride a bike. Like the possibility of that happening, if you had asked me what is the likelihood, I mean, I would have given you like maybe a one or 2% chance that that could ever happen. Like almost zero. Back in uh, March 2019, we had a couple on the show that uh, they'd traveled the world two up on a KTM 640 adventure. It was Heidi and David Winters. Now, it was on that trip that David broke his wrist while he was riding. It's quite an interesting story, actually. And I'm going to put a link in the uh, the show notes for this episode so you can go have a listen to it if you haven't heard it already. Anyway, um, so David's trying to ride this bike because he's the rider of the bike. Heidi's the pillion. He's got a broken wrist and, and he's trying to use a throttle lock. And I think he had the one that, that sort of screws onto the end of the handlebar. But anyway, it was a real pain for him. Drove him nuts. When they got back, he was set to find a better throttle lock. Couldn't find it. So he decides to make his own, which is what he did. He invented the Atlas throttle lock. It is an amazing, beautifully crafted piece of equipment that clamps onto your handlebar. It's got two buttons on it. 
they both work in a firm, positive way that give you the just the full feedback. It always makes me think of Apple products because it gives you the full feedback that you want when you're engaging or disengaging. It is a beautiful piece of equipment. And if you don't know what a throttle lock is, it doesn't lock your throttle so that someone doesn't steal your bike. It holds your throttle position so you can relax your hand and wrist and arm. And it, it makes riding so much nicer. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. On this past episode of Raw, uh, September 2021, we talked about night riding. And the one thing that everybody on the panel agreed on was the need for high quality lighting. Not some discount deal light, but high quality lighting, like the kind Cyclops Adventure Sports makes. Cyclops makes all kinds of lighting for us motorcyclists, and you can feel confident in their lights because Cyclops is owned and operated by a family of motorcycle riders. So they know what us riders want because they're one of us. Now, I mentioned night riding. Daytime auxiliary lights are super important too, because making sure those other drivers that are on the road, you know, the ones with the four wheels, see you, that's the key to safer riding. In fact, Cyclops' motto is see and be seen. So have a look at the, their huge lineup of bolt-on auxiliary lights, LED headlight replacement, uh, CAN bus, plug-and-play lighting, and just so much more at their website, cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, cyclopsadventuresports.com. If you ride an adventure bike, your foot pegs should be important to you. For comfort on the road, for grip on the dirt, they need to be ultra tough, yet designed specifically for how you ride. IMS Products has been making motorcycle parts since 1976. Can you even remember 1976? And, and over those years, IMS has become well-known in the race pits uh, around the world because racers want the best. And now us adventure riders can have that too through IMS products and their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. They're designed specifically for your style of riding. They've got different models to choose from. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So you just knew it wasn't it wasn't in the cards for you, sort of thing. That was the oh, way you no, had to experience it. I was just it. thinking those those bikes are so big. I mean, I'm I'm only five feet two inches tall and about 110 pounds. I'm a pretty slight person, and um, you know I'm not that I'm not physically coordinated. I've never been very athletic, so for me, I just thought, well, there's just no possibility that's ever happening. And so, for example, one of the defining moments for me last summer was when I successfully completed uh, the Tale of the Dragon twice because I had been on that um, route or that road um, five years earlier on the back of a bike. And for me, that felt like a rite of passage. I felt like I could finally see myself as a biker in my own right not necessarily as somebody's riding partner. Um, and that was just really empowering for me. But what changed with you as far as at one point you, you said, you know, you're, you're not capable of handling a motorcycle. You know, you're not, you're not the right size. You had all these reasons why you thought you couldn't ride. What made you believe that you could? 
Um, it was more my passion for biking that gave me the courage to try. I didn't necessarily know if I would be able to. Um, but um, I think part of what happened now that I think about it too is that the previous summer, I had seen this really cool thing. We were at a coffee shop in Colorado and this couple pulls up with a sidecar with a German Shepherd in it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I was asking him about it. And I said, you know, um, is there any possibility when you leave, would you mind me taking a video of you? Because they just all look so great. The dog had goggles on, you know, it was just great setup. And um, I sent the video to my sister because she had a German Shepherd. And I said to my husband at the time, you know, I'll bet you anything my sister's going to get her motorcycle endorsement so that she can take her dog riding. And my husband at the time said, no, that'll never happen. And I said, you don't know how much my sister loves her dog. So within two weeks of my sister getting that video of the couple with their German Shepherd in the sidecar, she had signed up for a class to get her license. So at that point, after she and her husband got their license and my brother has, I thought, wait a minute. Of the three children in my family, my brother and sister don't like riding even as you know, a fraction as much as I do, yet they both have their licenses. I thought, okay, if they have their licenses, I should get mine. So it was, it was like a combination of things. The fact that I knew I might not be able to ride on the back forever. The fact that my other family members had it and just the time of year was right if I was going to try it. But, you know, like I said, I was just so grateful when I actually passed the test and so grateful to get my bike. And I have to say one thing that really helped me out also was knowing that you don't necessarily have to start with a big, heavy bike. So for me, you know, I started out with a Honda Rebel 250 um, and looking back on it now, you know, that thing was just almost weightless. It was very, very light. And it, it really, I put 4,000 miles on that bike in I think two months or two and a half months. And uh, it just, it gave me the opportunity to learn some of the basics of driving my own motorcycle without all the complications of a heavier bike. So after you had your license and, and your, I guess your divorce is, is done, you know, the, the relationship is finished. That's when you said you, you decided to take this trip to see your son and, and this yes. could be your first solo trip. So what do you feel are the, are the hurdles for this? Like what, what scares you about the trip before I mean, put yourself back at that time? What scares you about going on the trip? Well, and this, this might sound strange to some people who don't, who don't have this fear, but the biggest fear for me was being alone um, because that was still something that I was struggling with. Now, I'm super happy to tell you that I do not have that fear today. In fact, I've gotten to the point where I actually enjoy being alone, um, but I was afraid of like, what will I do at the end of the day when I have all these cool things that happened on the bike and I have no one to share them with? Or what am I going to do sitting alone in a hotel room at night? Or what am I going to do if I'm on the road and I don't know which way to go and there's nobody there to ask? Or what am I going to do if I get lost? And so the, the cool thing is, like I said, just within, I would say, the first few days of my trip, I had this huge you know, life-changing revelation occur. And that is that I did not feel alone, even though I was on my own. So, you know, I like to make that distinction that you can be on your own, but you don't necessarily feel alone. You talked earlier in this interview about how you can be around people, but feel alone. Well, I think the opposite can also be true. You can be on your own and not feel alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that is, that is exactly what happened to me in the first two to three days of my trip. It was really exciting. I, what happened is I went to lunch, um, with a friend, um, from, you know, who lives uh, not too far from me and he decided. 
decided to, to help me get started on my adventure. So we went to lunch together two hours into the trip. We had lunch and he said, well, I've got to go. And I thought he was going to say something like, good luck on your trip or I'll be thinking of you or something. But he just said, I need to leave and left. There was no pep talk or good luck speech or anything like that. And I was, I looked at my bike and my first thought was, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know? Yeah. And, uh, but then my second thought was, wow. I get to ride my bike every day for eight weeks. This is going to be awesome. So I got on the bike and headed out. And just that day alone, I had four fascinating conversations with complete strangers. I, I stopped at one of my favorite candy stores in the country just a couple hours later. And this doctor there, I had, I had asked this group of people in front of me, how does the ice cream taste? Because since I had throat cancer, I still can't taste um things as fully as I used to. And it, it really varies depending on the item. So I asked them, what does the ice cream taste like? And and it came out that I had had throat cancer. So this, this doctor spent 15 minutes kind of asking me about what it was like to have throat cancer and to recover from it and be a teacher. And he shared about his career choices. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting having a conversation with a stranger I've never met. And then Literally just a few minutes later, a truck driver who was parked at the candy store, he said, oh, I see you have a bike, you know, I, and he told me about how he drives across the country and hopes to put his bike on the back of a truck, you know, and I had two more similarly interesting conversations with people. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, when, when you're on your own, that doesn't mean that you can't talk with anybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I realized, and then of course I had my Facebook friends, I posted about my first day and they were all excited for me and cheering me on. And, and it was just this incredibly liberating feeling. Uh, another thing that I do tell people, and this is just part of my own personal faith and, and not everyone shares this, this belief or feeling or whatever, but part of my belief system is that there's, you know, there's God, there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is inside me. And so something that came kind of alive for me during the trip is I had a heightened awareness of that part of my spirituality. So when I was on the first few days of my trip, I did not feel alone at all for all of those reasons. I felt a heightened awareness about the Holy Spirit in me. I felt, you know, encouraged by friends back home cheering me on. And I also just felt truly heartened by all the positive, interesting conversations with people I had never even met. So it was it was um, a life-changing event for me to get to the point where I could realize that I, I would never feel alone. Did, did it just keep getting better and better as you went or, or, or was there sort of a peak and valley experience as you rode across the country and as you oh, that's met an people? Excellent question. That's an excellent question. I would say just kept getting better and better because I had all these fears, you know, and at every section along the way, it was kind of like I was checking off that fear and the other fear and the other fear. Um, as I mentioned, I had the fear of being alone. Um, I also was just kind of lacking in confidence as a writer. Um, and so one of the things I was really excited about on, um, this trip two summers ago, and I did do this on my most recent trip as well as I completed a IBA certified ride, a iron butt association ride. Um, and you know, going into my first IBA ride, 
I wasn't sure if I'd even be able to do the thousand miles. As I said, I, I had a fear that I, I just didn't have as much confidence in myself. Um, and so about 400 miles in, I was just having this most fantastic time. I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. I get to ride and I don't even have to think about like, what am I going to take a picture of or stop to sightsee? Because I'm not, I'm just going to ride. Because you know? your goal is just to stay on the bike and click yeah. the miles by. And I was like, wow, this is so much fun. This is so awesome. So about 400 miles in, I thought, you know, um, why don't I shoot for 1,500 instead of 1,000 because a good thing, you know, just more of a good thing. And so um, I called a friend of mine who was kind of acting as my weatherman for the trip and said, you know, because my original plan was to go from Custer, South Dakota to um, St. Joseph, Michigan. So I said to him, you know, if I wanted to go not to Niagara Falls instead, you know, another 500 miles, w- is there any like truly inclement weather between those, you know, that extra section there? And he said, no, it all looks pretty clear. So I ended up doing on my first IBA ride was actually 1,500 miles. And that was like a real confidence booster for me. And I actually ended up doing another one um, just a couple weeks later because I hadn't actually intended to, but for a variety of reasons I did. And um, and then this summer I did a 2,000 mile ride. So I think what's been happening for me at least is just that my confidence you know, those are kind of like milestones that you can look back on when you're maybe in a moment of indecision or doubt and say, you know what, I am a good writer. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that I don't have lots of room for improvement because I absolutely do. But completing those endurance rides, I think, helped me to gain more confidence. So I would say that as your question was, you know, did it keep getting better and better? Yes, because I do believe at every section of the trip, I learned something new and something positive about myself that helped me to see myself differently. And, you know, when I when I kind of describe what happens, I think that that is, that is a relevant thing that there's, I do feel like there's been a permanent change in how I see myself as a person. What did your son think? What what did your son see when you arrived? I mean, he did he see just mom or did he see something else? Well, I think all three of my kids are a little bit surprised, you know, like if you had asked them 10 years ago, do you think your mom's going to be a motorcycle adventurer (laughs) traveling around the country? And I think that that would have been like the furthest thing from their minds. And, and at the same time, I have to say, I'm so privileged to have three children that are so loving and supportive because I know that, you know, and I won't name names or whatever, but of the three children that I have, some are more concerned with the dangers of motorcycling than others. But all three of them really can see how much I love it. They know how much it means to me. Like I'll come back from a ride and just say, oh man, I'm just in such a good mood right now because I just had such an awesome ride. And they respect that, I think. And they know that it's just really part of who I am. Uh, but I am curious, though, what he saw. I mean, and, and did he tell you when you arrived, when you, when you did that first crossing, so you're halfway into your trip, really, and mm-hmm. you arrive at your, your son's place to visit, d- does he look at you sort of with mouth agape and, and say, wow, I really see a, a different person here? Or, or does he not quite pick up on it at that point? Well, I'm, I'm just going to be completely honest with you because that's part of who I am. As I, as I mentioned, I like to be very authentic. You know, Part of the reason why I was so um, determined to go see my older son, Ethan, is because the previous Christmas, I had, um, you know, been our, the relationship between he and I had been somewhat strained because I was so tense because um, he visited during Christmas 
when I had just finished a round of chemotherapy. And of course, they had my radiation every day and my marriage was at a horrible, horrible state. And we had had some difficult words between us. And, you know, I had apologized and, you know, we had had conversations since then. He had sent me a wonderful Mother's Day card and, you know we were still connected, but there was still that tension there. And I wanted to be able to hug him and to tell him eye to eye, I love you. And so I'll just be completely honest. I think when he first saw me, he might've been a little apprehensive, you know, because there still was a little unfinished business, I think, between us. And so I was incredibly grateful for the opportunity to see him and to be able to demonstrate very visibly to him how much he meant to me. So, you know, I love you so much that I will travel alone across the entire country to see you. And he was incredibly welcoming and supportive of that. Um, when when I had first arranged to come by, I had told him I'd probably see him at the beginning of August because I left July 1st. But as I got to South Dakota and decided to do my endurance ride, part of the reason I wanted to do the 1,500 miles instead of the thousands is I thought, you know, that will put me closer to my son that much earlier. So I called him up and I said, honey, I think I'm going to be a lot earlier than I thought because I just can't wait to see you. And, and then I had said, okay, I'll be there on Friday. But then I was in New York and I thought, you know what, I can make it to DC in two days instead of three or whatever it was. So I actually called him up and said, honey, I'm going to be on Thursday night instead of Friday. And I said, I totally get it if you can't see me Thursday night because I'm showing up even earlier than early. But he changed his plans so he could see me the night I arrived and he spent every day with me. And then even the morning that I left, even though it was a work day, he came by the hotel to give me a hug and say goodbye to me before I went to go pick up my bike and leave. So, um, you know, it was, I, I think we both were probably a little bit apprehensive seeing each other for the first time with everything that had happened and changed since we had seen each other last and I know that I was very grateful that he welcomed me um, and also that he was so um, kind and accepting towards me. And, and I've also just been very grateful since then, like I said, that he's been so affirming of the decisions I've made and the accomplishments that I've had. After the visit, what, what was the difference in, in the way you guys felt, or at least the way you think it was between you two from before you arrived to when you were leaving? I think I felt a renewed sense of hope. And I think I also kind of changed gears and started realizing how much I had to be grateful for. Because it had been an extremely difficult year between almost dying of cancer and going through a second divorce and teaching during oh, yeah. the pandemic. Even though I had been learning, you know, the wonderful lesson that I would never feel alone again and that I was more confident than I knew I could be. Um, I still, I think, needed to learn more how to have an attitude of gratitude <laughs> um, and to focus on the things that I had instead of the things I didn't have. And, and that was a skill I had been working on for a few months already. Um, I had been keeping a nightly gratitude journal ever since uh, my marriage ended. I started journaling every day the things I had to be grateful for. So I was already kind of working on that. But I think that seeing my son just kind of brought it all together for me, where I realized, man, this wonderful human being is my son. You know, mm -hmm. and even despite all the tension that we had last Christmas, he's still opening me, uh, welcoming me with open arms, you know, and I thought, wow, I mean, even if nothing else happens in my life, but I have the three children that I do, I am blessed beyond measure. Mm -hmm. And so um, that time with him really just helped me to see how truly blessed I was. When you came back, what sort of person came back? Was it a different person 
than left? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that I saw myself more as a person of strength. So whereas before I might think of the things I was afraid of doing, now my orientation more is what can I challenge myself to do? So for example, and and I asked, as I mentioned, I asked people around me, you know, have you seen that too? And then they were telling me things like you appear more confident. Uh, You're more able to see the good in things. Um, When you're in a stressful situation, you're more able to think things through clearly. You have a sparkle in your eyes. You have, you walk straighter, you know, like my posture is better. Um, I just, I'm a more confident, happier person. I noticed the difference. I think, um, last year teaching during the pandemic again um, because I was more flexible, I think, than I had been before. Um, As a teacher, it was very intimidating learning how to do all the new things that we had to do to teach in a totally different environment. You know, redoing our curriculum, um, holding Zoom sessions, putting things in electronic format. There, There were so many new skills to learn. And instead of focusing on how difficult that would be or how time-consuming it would be, I learned to ask myself questions like, well, what good is coming out of this? And how could you use these skills in the future? And what are you knowing now that you wouldn't have known otherwise? And, And then even this summer on my most recent motorcycle trip, rather than thinking of what I might be afraid of doing, I was thinking, well, what was something I would love to do on my bike if I wasn't afraid? And then I would mm-hmm. challenge myself to do it. So this, that's part of why I put so many miles on this last summer is because I kept on thinking of all these different cool things I wanted to do around the country. And I essentially just decided to do them all instead of letting whatever fear or you know hesitation I might have get in the way. For example, last summer, I kind of stayed away from the Northeast because <laughs> when I had been on the back of a bike in the Northeast several years ago, it had been terrifying. I'll never forget this one time we were getting on a freeway and the on-ramp was literally a stop sign. And there were cars whizzing by at 70, 80 miles an hour. And we were at a stop sign turning right into oncoming traffic. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is just terrifying. So I was, I was very nervous about going to the Northeast. So I decided that instead of uh, giving into that fear, I would just go to simply all of the Northeast states. <laughs> and so I, I actually ended up going to all 48 states this most recent summer, just because I decided, again, I just wanted to to do anything that I hadn't done before. I wanted to try. So there were 28 states I missed. I thought, you know, I want to go to all 28 of those. And and I don't want to give up the 20 that I really like that I went to last summer. So let's just do all 48. So I've just noticed that I have um, more confidence, more even more sense of adventure than I did before and um, more positivity. And, and just, again, that I see myself as a person of strength. And, you know, another kind of fascinating thing is I feel like I'm able to see myself more as a person of value. So um, just the combination of being able to face fears and overcome them and also just getting so much positive affirmation from others, the combination of the two things. um, I just feel like I'm able to see myself in general in a more positive light now. It's pretty incredible because, you know, these, these um, limits that you had before really governed your life. And then you go and you challenge them, you find out they're not real. They're, they're completely, they're completely made up or at least they're not as they appeared. And, And all of this, is you, you attribute to the motorcycle. You, you, the, the motorcycle has been the driving force. Is that, is that the way you look at well, it? Well, 
I would say it's a synergistic thing. I would say the motorcycle, and this is kind of a pun on words, but the motorcycle was the vehicle for that happening. Mm -hmm. I do think that there were other elements that were a necessary part of that. So for example, I think my deep personal faith, you know, one of the things that I believe because of my faith is that God will use all things for good. I also believe that he has a plan for me. Um, And so, um, and I also believe that, you know, that he can take me out of the valley uh, and and help me climb the, the mountains, you know? So, so it's my, my personal faith played a part in it. And I think I am so blessed to not only have three wonderful children, but I have several good friends that I've had for many, many years. And so um, I think their support, my faith, I think the motorcycle was a vehicle through which I learned all these life-changing lessons. But I was able to learn it, I think, in part because of having supportive friends and family and a, and a strong personal faith. So they kind of all worked synergistically. One of the things with change is it can be very difficult with the people who know you the the best. You mentioned the close friends, certainly family members, because they know you as a certain type of person. And then you go out and you have some sort of experience, let's call it an epiphany uh, on an adventure, and then you come back as this different person. Sometimes that can be difficult to deal with for, for people. And did you run into any of that? Did you did you find people wondering, you know, who is this Kathleen or what are you trying to do now? Like, what, what What's happening here? Did you get any any sort of feelings like that from people or comments? That's an interesting question. You know, I think kind of what happened with me is that the person I am now is the person I used to be. And then when I went through all the trauma that I did, um, that's when I became more strained and more anxious and lacking in confidence. But, you know, years ago before meeting my ex-husband, the person that, you know, I was very similar to the person I am today. Now, I would say that I'm a better version of that now in, in terms of having more confidence. And because I think sometimes, and I don't know better, that might sound kind of prideful, maybe just stronger might be a better word. But I feel that sometimes when you face a very difficult situation, ultimately it can end up making you stronger than if you had never faced that difficult situation. So um, I think that to be honest, I can't think of a single person that I can recall at least that had any any issues with, you know, the positive changes. I think partially because anyone who had known me more than a few years knew that it that deep down inside there was that strong, confident, positive person. And that the strained, anxious, lacking in confidence person that had been there during the, the difficulties of the marriage was was not, you know, the person that they knew and remembered. And so um, I, I think that for myself, at least, I just feel so grateful to be, I wouldn't say back to where I was because I would say that I am stronger than when I was, but to, to not be in that bad place that I was in for several years. I think you said, um, and, and roughly, I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase this, but you said something along the lines of the past may have shaped who you are, but it doesn't have to define define who you'll be today. Can you, can you talk about that? It is so funny that you mentioned that, by the way, I'm really enjoying speaking with you, but that was just flitting through my mind. Like, would that be a good time to bring this up? (laughs) (laughs) So that is an excellent question. 
I, I would say that that was another kind of life-changing moment for me on my trip two summers ago is um, when I went through the state of California and I spent some time with people that I had known in my younger years, uh, a good friend from junior high and then also a good friend that I had known when my children were very little um, because I had spent time with both of them in California and I met up with both of them while I was in California and just kind of talking about our shared past and what had happened to me, what had transpired since then and who I was at that point in time and moving forward, it was, it was a life changing, um, I think new perspective for me to have that we've all had things happen to us that we wish hadn't happened. Um, and you know, uh, but the thing is, we have to decide to ourselves, yes, those things may have helped shape who we are today, but they don't have to, as you said, define who they are today. So that was a huge kind of awareness for me to have that who I am today moving forward is actually my choice because I can choose to focus on what I don't have or I can choose to focus on what I do have. I can choose to focus on what I wish hadn't happened or I can choose to focus on how I'm stronger because it did happen. And so for me, um, I think that um, I'm learning to frame things in my own mind in a positive manner, because what that does is allows me to look to the future more with hope. So um, it, it was really freeing for me to realize, I think, you know, we talked about the lies that we tell ourselves. I think for me, I was just so sure that especially as being a person, person of faith, that going through two divorces, that that might somehow um, you know, hurt my faith or hurt my relationship with people who did share my faith. But again, it was a, it was just a, a lie that I was essentially telling myself because the actual fact of the matter is that God does love me. God does have a future and a hope for me. And God does wish for good for me. And um, I have been seeing myself as a person who made mistakes, um, whereas he was seeing me as a person who had the opportunity to learn from those mistakes. And so um, um, I think that it just kind of shifted my perception of who I was into a much more hopeful frame of mind. And so I'm I'm very excited about sharing my situation with other people because, you know, what, one of the things that a counselor of mine told me um, when I was going through such a difficult time, she said, Kathleen, if you can be learn to be happy that all the horrible things that happened in your marriage happened, that will be really freeing for you. And I looked at her like, really? <laughs> you expected me to be happy that all these things happened? And she said, yes. And, I, and I, I, at the time, I didn't see how that could be possible. But I'm beginning to see how that is possible at this point. Because the way I look at it is, one, I feel like I'm a stronger person than I would have been. But I think what's even more compelling for me, because I, I really do truly care about other people, is I think to myself, if sharing my story will help even one person to have enough confidence in themselves to get out of a difficult situation and to build a better life for themselves, then all that pain that I went through would be worth it. And I kind of get teared up talking about it because if you haven't been in a place like that, in a place of absolute and utter pain, it's kind of hard to know what it's like. But I want to encourage people that there is hope and there is a future and you can make a better life for yourself. And, you know, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as 
you know, surviving cancer or surviving a divorce. It might be more simple. It might be something like, what's a dream that I had for my future that I have not tried to achieve because of fear? You know, is there something that I would do if fear wasn't a factor? And it might be something small. It might be, you know, some person thinking, well, instead of riding on the back of the bike, I do want to get my own endorsement. Or it might be somebody thinking, you know, I've spent most of my time traveling in state. Maybe I want to do a cross country trip. Maybe I want to do a solo trip. So I just feel um, a sense of gratitude for the the blessings that I have today. And also just um, uh, an excitement about hopefully encouraging other people to, to be willing to face their fears. Because I think we all uh, can achieve much more uh, than than maybe we thought we could. It reminds me of the saying, you know, it, it's not what happens to you in life. It's how you react to it. Uh, that, yes. That's that's what really makes the difference. You know, yeah. one, one of the things with, with changes, and particularly big changes like this that you've had, is, uh, and I, I talk to a lot of people who've done round-the-world trips, and there's often that feeling when they come back from the, the round-the-world trip, the, the big thing that's really changed in life is holding on to that, finding a way to hold on to that change that they like, that they enjoy, the new them, no matter how minute or, or how huge it is. It's difficult sometimes because you fall back into your normal life and, and you, you sort of pick up your old routines. How do you hang on to the, this change that's happened to you? You know, and I think that's a question I can partially answer. And part of my answer would be to be continued, you know, because that's something that I'm thinking through myself. It's funny that you mention it. And I, I have to admit, um, there's really uh, no, um, what do you call substitute for going on a motorcycle ride? Oh, yeah. Um, this this Saturday, I convinced myself that I didn't need to go riding because it was raining. There were things I need to get done around the house. I didn't even set my alarm on Sunday. It's the first time I haven't done that in months. But I woke up, and even though it was supposed to rain all day, I could see that there was some sun in the sky. And I thought, you know what? I really need this ride. So I, I, uh, I actually rode my motorcycle to church so that I would have it with me right afterwards. And I spent six hours on my bike afterwards. And I have to say that coming back after that six hours, it was so much better than if I hadn't been riding for those six hours. <laughs> I was literally laughing and chortling and, you know, just like, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed. I was rained on pretty severely for about an hour of that six hours, but the other five hours, the sun, the wind, the dips in the road, the curves, the vibration of the bike, the good food that I had while I was on the road. And then, you know, um, I, I love to, to put in on my map app, you know, to take me to a place and then put some back way that I've never been. My app was taking me on all these roads I'd never been on before. I encountered a covered bridge and I'm like, oh, wow, what a hidden treasure, you know, got a great picture. I was just having so much fun. Um, but, you know, I guess in an ideal world, I would be able to tell you how I could have that much fun without riding my bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do try to take joy in whatever I'm doing. So I must say that although I do truly believe I could be happy traveling on my bike every day of my life, I mean, if I could somehow get endorsements so that I could do that, I seriously would not have a problem doing that. I would, I find it invigorating, um, challenging, adventurous, fun and all that. But that being said, you know, in the real world, we, most of us do need to earn a salary and all that. As I said earlier um, in this conversation, I am truly 
um, fortunate that I, I love my job. So what I've been kind of focusing on having gotten back from my trip, because, you know, it is a little bit of an adjustment to go from being on a grand adventure every day to working your nine to five job is I've been doing two things. I've been um, focusing on how much I do love my work. I love the fact that I can interact with people that are younger than me, who have interesting perspectives and ways of looking at things that I can keep my mind active as I'm doing math problems and thinking about how to teach them the best. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. And then the other thing that kind of helps me to maintain a positive attitude, even though I'm not currently on the road, is to think of all the things that I have learned about myself as a person from being on the road. So reminding myself of that, um, you know, is another kind of antidote to, you know, to dealing with that transition of, okay, I'm not on the bike every day. How am I going to deal with it? So, um, but I, I, I would be lying if I said I'm not dreaming about my next motorcycle trip. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, I'm already thinking about, you know, this summer, do I want to go? Well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to Alaska. So, I, you know, I think a combination of just focusing on what I have to be grateful for, thinking about how the trips in the past have benefited me. And I guess the third thing then would be, you know, planning the next one. Um, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. You wrote a book about your adventure called Two Wheeled Wind Therapy. What's what, what, what's in the book? Like, what would you expect someone to get from the book? Well, I, I think that if I had to distill the book down, it, it essentially describes a lot of what you and I have been talking about today, which is how I survived um, cancer, the divorce, and teaching through the pandemic, and through that journey, through my uh, motorcycle journey last summer, not only survived, but learned to turn those things into the vehicle that helped me learn to experience confidence, hope, and joy again. So it, it kind of journal, it kind of chronicles not just my actual journey on the bike, but my journey as a person. How did I transform myself from somebody who lacked confidence and felt despair to somebody who felt strong and as a person of value. And and what the book does is it chronicles for each step of the actual trip that I took, what the positive life lesson was. So I believe there's like 12 chapters and an afterward. And each chapter, the first chapter is kind of an introduction, but each chapter after that outlines a, a section of the trip and what the life lesson was along along that route. We're going to put a link in the show notes to your website. So people can go look at the book. Of course, you can get it at Road Dog Publications. Kathleen, it was really fun sitting and talking to you. And I really enjoy your story. And and thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Jim. I was speaking with Kathleen Turner. Her book is called two-wheeled wind therapy. It's published by Road Dog Publications. Kathleen has done some touring with her new book and has been getting fantastic response about it. You can buy the book through Road Dog Pub at roaddogpub.com or directly from Kathleen's own website, kathleenturner.com. Those links will be in the show notes, of course, for this episode, along with some photos of Kathleen and her adventures all on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, 
I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, of course, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of it and listening to the show. Hey, if if you're not doing it already, we need your support. Drop by AdventureRiderRadio.com, click on the support button. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's our other show that comes out once a month. You need to subscribe separately for that one. All available on our website. You can find all the information there. Um, but we would love to get you on our patron support team as well. And there's some perks to doing that. So um, don't sit back and wait for everybody else to do it because quite frankly, very few people who actually listen to the show support. And we do need your support. It's built on a model of advertising and listener support. Otherwise, we'd have tons of ads stacked in here. Anyway, I'd like it if you, and I'd very much appreciate it if you check it out. And the other thing you can do is give us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, if you haven't done that already, we'd love it if you do that for us. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much once again, and I will talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Graham Jarvis, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Ah!